0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the California Association of Tactical Officers podcast, where we discuss a variety of SWAT-related topics. We believe tactics are a science, and the art is in how we apply those tactics. My name is Marcus Sprague. And I'm Brent Stratton. Chris Allshouse, welcome to the Cato podcast. I've asked Chris to uh, sit in here. It's going to be confusing for me because I have Chris Allshouse with a K and Chris Jenny from Cato, uh, also with a K. So, Chris from Cato is going to be called Khaki Chris because he likes khakis. And uh, we'll just call Mr. Alls House Chris. So, uh, welcome for the show. I asked if you would uh, come and talk to us a little bit about what you have going on, which uh, really starts out with uh, drone stuff. But in all honesty, LA Regional Training Center covers all kinds of stuff. So, I definitely wanna touch on that today. But before we do that, can you tell me a little bit uh, about your background and how you got started in this?
1: First of all, Marcus, thanks for having me. Uh, Chris, it's great to see you again. Uh, And I'm I'm excited to be here with the good work you guys are doing. Uh, My background is uh, I'm retired from Long Beach. I was uh, 13 years on the SWAT team there. Uh, That's the tactical background. Uh, I was involved with some other post presenters and ultimately stumbled across the folks at LACRTC And uh, I really appreciated their, uh, the culture they had, the ethical, uh, their ethical standards that they adhered to and uh, sort of the family sense that the organization had and and what their missions were, which were really to, to bring the best training at the lowest price and to try to use existing infrastructure and not to pay for things that we didn't need to pay for so that we could bring the best training, the best instructors is really what it boils down to the most experienced people that we can get out there. Uh, to the folks to get the best training to them. So it was neat to be um, involved and in being allowed to, to uh, integrate into that family. So that's my, kind of my background there.
0: Well, thanks. So I know you do more than just drone stuff, but I know uh, a lot of my familiarity with you and your organization revolves around sending folks to drone training. And you presented at the Cato Conference last time. We had one pre-pandemic. So that's going to be uh, Reno 2022, folks. Sorry, but we didn't dare to take a chance on uh, twenty-one. So, what's the status of current current drone programs in in California and the United States? What are you seeing out there since you're training up and down the state and actually across the country?
1: Uh, there's uh, there's a majority of the agencies have actually begun to implement some form of uh, drone programs. It's 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 funny if you go back four years, uh, there were major. California cities uh, where the chief said, I won't name the city, but said, I will never have a drone program in my city, which I thought was fairly short-sighted. Um, however, I knew then that it was a matter of time when people realized how it, how it makes everybody safer, everybody. So wherever you are politically, this benefits you. And uh, if, if homeless is your big concern or Black Lives Matter or, or officer safety or high tax dollars or whatever it is, This is something drones are a way that improves your situation and and your cause. So I knew it was a matter of time before we shift to uh, not why is there a drone program in my jurisdiction, but rather, why is there not a drone program in my jurisdiction? So there's been this evolution that's starting to happen. And when the decision makers and stakeholders see what's actually happening, uh, they're just taken aback. They can't believe uh, how beneficial these tools are.
0: So looking in the past, we saw, that as often in government work, our regulations aren't keeping up with the technology. And I'd say that still applies today, although I would say, watching the last year or two, it seems like some of the drone regulations are loosening. Uh, the government's starting to recognize we need to be do this a little bit faster. But would you say that's still probably the biggest challenge, that, that obviously uh, funding and uh, don't get me started about batteries, right? <laughs>
1: Well, so if you're talking about regulatory elements with like specifically the FAA, you know, it's, it's a, it's a shift. They had to pivot uh, for a manned aircraft organization to an unmanned aircraft uh, and, and how do you balance that coming from that aeronautical background? So uh, they are, you know, it's a large organization and there's a lot of aircraft in the air, a lot of aircraft in our airspace and both manned and unmanned. So uh, they're managing that and, and working towards uh, resolutions to that, not just for public safety, but but of course, as you know, for the private sector.
0: Yeah, because right now we're actually at a disadvantage and I'm not disagreeing with government regulations on government agencies using drones. I think you need to have that check and balances. So I don't, I don't disagree with any of that, but like a lot of things, uh, the average person doesn't actually have to obey most of those regulations. And so it's always a challenge for law enforcement. That that being said, kind of segueing into that, what are the other challenges you're seeing uh, folks face across the state and in the country as far as implementing or ex- their existing drone program?
1: Well, I would say law enforcement uh, being one of the animals from that tribe <laughs> is we have a tendency to put the cart before the horse a little bit. Um, you know, we, we, we learn of something new and, and we find we end up reverse engineering, I guess. So, so I find a drone that I like and I buy it, except I don't even have a program in place. I don't have city council or county board approval. We don't even know what we really want to do with it yet. Uh, we don't know what stakeholders want us to do with it yet. Uh, and, and yet here we have a drone that's already obsolete and, or maybe not obsolete, but becoming obsolete rapidly because the technology is so quickly evolving. So the hard part is, uh, and this is the message that I'm glad this might be a good venue to start, continue to spread this, is really you gotta focus with what do you want to do? What are these very specific missions that you wanna do with, with your drones? And, and, and really think that through. I don't mean just, I wanna map or I wanna use it to fly inside, really break that down. And then that will help you define the characteristics of the aircraft you're after, what type of support you need, what type of training, what type of safety management, what type of maintenance, and so on. All of that will go into your policy and procedures, and it all really starts with what you really want to do with it first. And that's sort of been something that's been a little bit hard to, to overcome with some of the agencies. Uh, they don't know it, uh, but they're, they're just moving forward, and they're stumbling like we all do on something new.
0: Yeah, I would say you, you nailed our profession pretty well. This is cool. It's shiny. It's going to do all kinds of cool stuff somebody with the right authority has the right amount of money at the right time. And then they come back and go build a program around this. And uh, we've all, we've all experienced that. We've taken advantage of that guy before, right? Hey, this is cool. You should buy this right now.
1: Oh, I, right? I've seen that guy. Yeah. I've seen yeah. those exact things. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yes. So uh, looking at, so one of the things that I've seen that's positive is that prices are going down and the technology of five years ago, it's like TVs, you know, and you, if you want to buy a flat screen TV 10 years ago, it was $4,000. And now they're a couple hundred a couple hundred bucks. So uh, looking at drone technology, uh, it, it appears that with development of the technology, the price is going down. We're going to have a lot more choices than we had in the beginning of this. Would you agree with that? Well, it depends on what
1: Depends on what market you're looking at. So uh, the small drones from the Chinese market are definitely extremely low priced for the quality of aircraft that you're getting. I, I think that it's, it, that's, this is another issue to overcome with agencies is, look, I need $100,000 to buy some aircraft. And that sounds like a lot, except that it'll pay for itself probably in the first year, depending on how active your SWAT team is or how active your, your crime scene processing is or whatever you're ending up to do to do with it. Uh it, it very likely will pay easily uh right away when you can process a crime scene in minutes versus hours or you can clear a house in minutes instead of hours or you can determine whether somebody needs assistance right away. I and mean, these are things that that really expedite uh cost of of doing business and not to mention reduce injuries and so forth. So anyway, uh aircraft are they're very diverse so you know a lot of the 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 Agencies are flying the Chinese aircraft, the smaller ones inside, and you can get that down to 500 bucks, and you're flying it inside. If you want something specifically designed to fly inside, that's created for special forces, law enforcement, you're, you know, you're going to spend a little bit more than that, uh, sometimes quite a bit lot. And if you want to, uh, if you want to, you know, have heavy payloads or persistent flight or long term flight, uh, you're going to pay more. So it's, it really just depends. That's again goes back to identifying your mission sets first and then building from
0: there. I'm going to not digress into tethered drones yet, but I do want to ask you about that down the road. Um, <clears throat> looking at overseas. So uh, I'm sure in your past, uh you, you deal with folks that have come back from overseas are involved in their programs over there. And uh, I've had a like, couple of times, I've had the opportunity to sit in the lobby of Aardvark and run into some dudes that, I didn't plan on running into that educated me about things that happened across the ocean. And uh, I don't want to call them drone wars overseas, but in other parts of the world, we're fighting battles with drones and doing things with drones that we're not seeing yet here in America. What do you see... How do you think that's gonna impact us in the United States? And, and I don't just mean like smuggling drugs across the border or into prisons. I think we're already seeing that in America a little bit, but what else have you seen or what trends do you you, you anticipate like mm, this might affect us down the road here?
1: Marcus, I'm amazed and, and quite happy that we have not um, had significant drone problems. Um, Rogue drones. There are a few, very few ones that are documented here, but uh, every day there is a drone attack in the in the world. <clears throat> every day, and uh, they are being, you know, how many years? Four or five years ago, when the kid in Connecticut put a you know a Glock on his Phantom Four, uh, how hard is that? And the fact that we haven't had a terror attack is it, just unbelievable to me, um, and i i know the sad news i know we we meet with counter drone technology we meet with federal agents who have the authority to use direct interdiction and it's really uh heartbreaking to me because i think because training budgets are so low you know we're defunding police and so forth we really need some counter drone uh training across the board and and systems in place now i realize the the key targets are in fact hardened but there are a lot that are not, and I don't want to go deep into what those are, but it's it's frightening to me. And when we first began our counter drone class, which was I don't know four years ago, I expected that class to go sold out at least once a month in perpetuity. <laughs> there really hasn't been that much interest. We only offer it a couple times a year uh, because there's just not that much interest in it uh, as of now. Uh, The sad part is, and I don't want it to be the case, but it's just a matter of time, you know, when you have knuckleheads out there doing bad, bad actors, and uh, this is a tool and it's easy off the shelf, ready to use easy to weaponize and, uh, and there's a whole lot to to properly handling a rogue drone or a danger bad acting drone. So it scares me. I just hate and we're typical we're going to learn the hard way like we always do but I, I don't know that there's a way around that.
2: Yeah you're really touching on a, a common problem for some folks I mean in our region we're preparing for a, a large special event coming up in a few weeks and being able to address that potential drone threat or that unknown is uh, you know one of the issues that we have can you know without. getting too far into the weeds, I'll set you up this way. Uh, Some folks just think we can get a beanbag shotgun and shoot the drones down that are over our event. Uh, Obviously, the drone's going to come down probably uh, into a crowd and and potentially cause injuries. Uh, Can you just talk a little bit about some of the counter drone techniques that are available and and why this is an area that actually there needs to be some uh, thought and training committed to to try and mitigate
1: that threat for your venue? Well, the uh, FAA is very strong on this. You do not down an aircraft. Um, now, that said, uh, that when you have a, a legitimate threat, there's, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want to tell anybody anything. Uh, there are lawful ways uh, of incorporating federal agents to be involved in your counter drone uh, options. Uh, there are some technologies out there that are just unbelievably fabulous. Um, ones that put a shield around your 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 venue. Uh, take control of the drone, land it where you want to land it, or send it back, or whatever you want to do. Uh, it, they're there. Uh, there's certainly the technology. As a matter of fact, the technology really isn't that hard. Um, the hard challenge going forward, I think, is cell phones, uh, aircraft that are managed by cell phones, by cellular connection. Uh, that I think that presents a new problem, all beyond my pay grade for sure. Um, but you know, there's, there's a whole balance and a multi-layered approach to counter drone. I mean, layer after layer, all the way down to the human element and managing that human asset and how you respond to and rapidly uh, deal with a rogue drone, if you can. Uh, so I, there, you know, it's a, it's a whole class, uh, and I'm not the expert on it, frankly, but, um, it's, it's, it's interesting stuff. Uh, I imagine that in the next few years here, uh, Things will probably shift a little bit where there may be, I don't know what the actual answer is, but uh, interdiction is going to have to be part of a, a broader approach and shielding, uh, geofencing and, and so forth, like these technologies that, that maybe autonomously integrate or, or interdict. So I don't, I don't know where the feds are on that, um, but ultimately they're the, going to be the ones controlling airspace and aircraft. So we listen to them.
2: Uh, that, that's, that's perfect info. And obviously there's, there's, uh, more training to be had out there and other technologies. Can I circle back to one of the other things you had mentioned previously uh, on the drones, you talked about processing, uh, crime scenes. And, you know, for those that are listening, that are thinking about writing proposals to their command staff or whatever, uh, the capabilities of the FODAR not just for crime scenes and scene documentation, but also your fatal traffic collisions and, and covering these extended, um, uh, or, or really large crime scenes, uh, can you just explain real quickly how the drones are using that capacity? And so somebody has an idea about how this is a force multiplier for their agency if they're looking at acquiring a drone.
1: Yeah, uh, and the technology in these, by the way, just before I get into it, it's just exploding even more with all of the, the real detail of, of crime scene and accident scene documentation. It, it's off the charts, uh, accurate and rapid. So um, there's, there's several different softwares out there. Uh, certainly, the pre-existing leader is probably Pix4D, and that's a, it's a mosaic. It's taking pictures. Uh, you do a grid, double grid, or you know, whatever else, you, whatever the shots you want to integrate into your 3D model. Uh, and then it, it, it also has a point cloud that allows you to do some, some mathematics and so forth. Uh, formerly, you know, the mate people could only do, and I would have to take my shoes off and add things up, and way beyond my mathematics skills now these softwares do it for you uh there's a new one that's emerged called sky browse and uh it's it's appropriate to talk about it with you guys because it uh it uses a different capture method it captures with video so it doesn't it does a double orbit uh you pick your point uh and you you set your area and it doesn't orbit then it goes up and out and does another orbit and that's it that's the capture process so we're talking about in our crime scene class we do a night crime scene in our csi drone class and it's a large the last one we just did up in contra costa county fire uh it, it was a huge traffic accident four cars one in, uh overturned suspect with a gun pinned under one of the car that I mean, that's the fake crime scene and it was a large scene and we we mapped it with the sky Browse and pix 4d but uh that sky Browse capture was i don't know three minutes maybe and it was done so here's the relevance uh, for Cato is Sky Browse uses, uh, you upload it. So if you have a high speed upload, you upload it, they render it into the model and they give it back to you, you have access to it. PIX4D, you maintain possession of the evidence and, and you render it on your own equipment, which requires kind of a high speed. Now we use an Alienware laptop.
0: Oh well, Chris knows exactly what you're talking about, my friend.
1: <laughs> That's <laughs> why can also keep smiling. Mm-hmm. In any mm-hmm. case, for the for the Cato side of this, and this is something I, I talked with uh, Bobby, the CEO of Skybrows, is one of the one of the markets you might be missing here is scouting. So mm-hmm. uh, back in the early 1900s, I mean late 1900s, early 2000s, <laughs> uh, back when I was uh, had a real job, we would literally send two people out to scout the location. Two people, at the primary will be called a primary entry. So you you two people from that team would go, and they would you know with crayons, write as little kids would write on a whiteboard of what this target house was. And of course, you're left with my writing ability, which is horrible. Now, in about the same time, in about 30 minutes, you can have a 3D model that you can manipulate, take measurements and all kinds of things from it right there at the CP. And you can send that out to every phone, every operator, back to your EOC, whatever, wherever you wanna go, you have that right there. And uh, that I think is, uh, for me at least, from the SWAT perspective, that's a game changer for scouting, scouting a uh, you know a barricade or, or a hostage or whatever you know some sort of a, a major tactical event. Yeah, and if
0: you go go back to like doing your search warrant days, right? When we're done, we draw a little diagram. And I remember when I first started in NARCS and on SWAT, we had a file folder with all the addresses because you hit the same houses yep. and you pull yep. it out, right? And then eventually we got fancy and we did them in Word, right? Because that's not any, takes twice as long and not any more accurate, right? <laughs> and and now looking at, PIC, I'm a big fan of Pix4D. I haven't tried Sky Brows yet, but Pix4D accident scenes, amazing. You, the cobwebs on the total station, you know, for hours of work now are done in 10 minutes. And the te- that technology, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, within the next year, you'll be able to similar to skybrowse take your phone walk through a house and it's going to you're going to be able to map that whole house like with a drone or just with your phone on a search warrant download it and you have it for next time right away and that's what you're describing with skybrowse very similar similar deal
1: you can do that right now we teach that in the csi class yeah. so so one of our uh, instructors for Alameda County uh, she's done a tremendous amount of mapping and she's, when she's mapped the inside of her crime lab where she works in Alameda County. Uh, I mean, and, and you can take measurements from that that handheld, you know, map and it's, or model. And it's it's fascinating and amazing to me. But yes, you, you can incorporate phone photos. Uh, there's 360 cameras. There's all kinds of stuff out there that you can, Incorporate into your 3D modeling or, or mapping, uh, and I didn't mention. So, in fairness to Pix4D, they also have the mapper. Uh, they have mapper. I'm sorry, and React. And you guys, I think, are probably familiar with React. It's a yes. rapid map for for the command post idea. Also, very very fast. Uh, in, in minutes, you can have a 2D map overlay at the command post in the same way. So they're kind of competing in that way.
0: Yeah, great. Both amazing technologies. If you're looking at Another way to use your drones to save money, and that's what you're talking about, right? When you build these programs, you look at how do I prove that this is worth the money, and it's in the overtime, it's in the overtime, the situational awareness, the manpower, uh, even the uh, the most rudimentary versions that we use drones for in the beginning was lost people, right? Search and rescue, and and how much cheaper it was to find that person as fast as we could, especially if you could see him at night, that kind of thing, but. But now the technology, the mapping, communicating it, live streaming to everybody in the field at the same time, that's just going to, in the next 10 years, that's going to all just be part of what these kids starting now, you know, once they learn how to get out of the bubble and do police work again after the pandemic, it's just going to be commonplace to them.
1: Marcus, when you think of these high quality 640 thermals that go out there and fly, Fly. You program them to find the body temperature that you're looking for, and then it pings them and sends it to your phone of your picket line, tells you <laughs> where all these potential bodies are—warm bodies, human bodies—that you're looking, you know, for search and rescue. It, it's just it, that's just one of countless these. This technology is just so such a force multiplier, and it really does. I mean, we just had one in LA County not too long ago, where uh, and I wasn't involved in it, but I just happened to have LA County connect up in the Angeles forest. And and some of those uh, are very steep, like a lot of the coastal uh, in the Bay area, very hard to get to and very hard to get to with a helicopter. And they had a car wreck that was way down at the bottom of this thing. Nobody could see it with a helicopter. Only the drone could fly down there and see what they had. And and it's a small story but it's a it's a story where you didn't put people at risk. You didn't put the heli, very dangerous helicopter maneuver to try to go in there and see where that is. But with a with a drone, it was nothing. So it's just, I mean, we could talk all day. In about minutes, stuff. in minutes
0: too. Yeah, setting up a whole team to rope down into there to take a look. Right. It was done in minutes.
1: Pop it out of the trunk, throw it out, be right back. Here it is. Yeah. Here's what, what we got.
0: Al- what else do you see in the future? What do you think? What are some of the crazy things you're seeing that people are working on? that may or may not translate down to us in law enforcement, but what are some of those future things you're seeing besides this exponential development of mapping and and the cameras getting smaller, being able to see farther and in better degrees of thermal imaging, right? Think about thermal imagers when we started compared to what they are now, they're ridiculous.
1: Right, I I, I don't think it's even uh, hard to imagine what the future is because we get to see it at the DOD level. (laughs) And that stuff is stuff that's NDA stuff, but um, it's it's just coming to us. So I don't, I don't. There's no secret stuff that we think of all the cameras that are out there now, uh, both <laughs> thermal. Uh, I mean, there's things that are actually not secret, but people think are kind of secret. But you know, you can see. I don't know, I don't know how much I can talk about, but there, you can see things all over the place that our military, other militaries, use uh and there's an autonomy that's out there that uh already exists uh, i already know of them uh with drones that just go in and map the house for you um for your entry team it flies in and maps it all you autonomously you just sit, let it go and uh and now you know exactly what where everything is in the house or the structure or the cave or whatever and and there's things like that they're only getting smaller and they're only getting bigger depending on what we need so uh when you talk about these heavy lift drones that are coming out, they really seem to come out on the market. Vertical takeoff and long flight times for mapping and search and rescue. Uh, these things benefit I mean, way back uh, four or five years ago, Virginia Tech with, with State Farm were flying these sense flies uh, into you know crash test dummies and got approval to fly beyond visual supply and sight and over people. And it's state farm so that they can start cutting checks to people on major disasters before anybody could even get access to the property. And so this is a win for FEMA because you start the rebuilding process before you can even put send an adjuster out there. So, I mean, it's just never ending. But the, the drones are getting smaller, flying longer. The drones are getting bigger, carrying heavier stuff, but more, and they're getting more autonomous. So uh, those simple concepts and then the payloads are becoming spectacular. Uh, payloads in, in sensors, thermal, IR, and optical sensors, uh, and, and anything else you want. If you can dream it, you can payload it. <laughs> it's really what is what we're what we're at
0: yeah we're getting into gene roddenberry status right right where we're we're like okay who did we think of this because we saw it on G, you know in, the, in a novel or something gene roddenberry wrote or did gene know something we didn't know and uh, okay
1: i'll tell you who knew something we didn't know are the people that wrote terminator yeah. skynet, skynet is here Skynet's skynet already is here, here. I mean i'm not i'm not kidding skynet <laughs> is already here Uh, they're here. So the the machines are getting smart and they are integrated and they're linked and they're autonomous. And uh, that's, they were, I don't know, 40 years ahead of their time.
0: What's the coolest or funniest or weirdest thing that you've seen folks do with a drone? Well, so you
1: told me to think of something and I I struggle with that uh, for a lot of reasons. One, sometimes you just don't want to share stuff that you know about (laughs) <laughs> but i will share this one um, that's fair that's fair and this is this is up in your neck of the woods a little bit north bay up uh in at the sonoma developmental center i don't know if you've had the <laughs> the, the pleasure of being up in that haunted place but I, I have
0: like, i was up there visiting uh you guys when you were doing a class
1: it is absolutely a haunted facility there's it is scary I, no doubt about it I, I could tell you stories that the that, that, that the caretaker said to me when, when he asked me if i saw anything and i told him this story he didn't even didn't even raise an eyebrow. He's like, yep, that was it. That was that's what his response was. Yep. So here's the story. We're up there and we're doing a night class. And uh, so the ghosts are out at night for sure. And drones are literally falling out of the sky. We can't keep a drone airborne. We are rotating. We bring like 50 drones to that class, knowing that if it can go wrong, it will. And every drone was falling out of the sky. But as this was unfolding, I'm in the church facility, if you've been there. It's a custodial church. So go figure that one out. There's like three or four uh, sanctuaries and then the jail cells. So jail cells are behind me and I'm trying to get this aircraft to work and I'm with an Orange County Sheriff's deputy and we're looking at the screen and we're trying to get, we're having trouble with all these aircraft. Every, every scenario is falling apart. Anyway, as we're looking at the screen, I see a female apparition descend across the front of the screen and then down to the bottom and through the floor. And both of us just sort of froze. And the people behind us, all the rest of the, our, our training crew there uh, that were the students in the class, they're like, what? What's going on? And we're just, he and I, we didn't say a word. We're just silent, me and this Orange County guy. And I, I, I turned to him and I said, did, did you see that? And he doesn't even look at me because it's so chilling. He just nods. He goes, yes. And I said, female? He goes, yes. Black hair? Yes. And there was a pause. And I go, okay, so let's go ahead and launch and try to go down this hallway and clear the hallway. And we just went right back to work. But it was, without a doubt, the most uh, ghost story that i have in my life and and the worst part i think or the telling part is when i told the guy who manages the place he asked if we saw anything that he
0: asked because he he knew he knew you were good
1: he asked he goes did you see anything in that i go yeah i go he goes what building and i pointed to the church and he goes
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) No, no questions
1: he didn't ask any other questions he just acknowledged yep that's that's about right
0: So you've got to describe this facility to people. Uh, Khaki Chris, have you been there? No. So uh, it's kind of like Yountville, except for nobody's in it. Okay. So uh, I don't know how many acres is it, Chris. It's huge.
1: Yeah, it's I. So one of our instructors, Steve Sharp, uh, Montebello guy. He he Googled it. He Googled all about it, and apparently it's got a very checkered sort of weird. You know, it's a psycho uh, psychology custodial location so criminally insane and so forth and if you go back into the 1900s some of the not so uh, good things that occurred in those places occurred in these places so uh there's a lot of bad juju there uh so.
0: it's it's a scary place and uh and i've never had anything like that happen to me there but every time i've gone train trained there for swat i'm like this is, place is just scary you get on there and it's all empty hallways and i agree if someone were like To walk like the gal with the hair, the hair over her face just floats across me in front. I wouldn't even like it'd scare me, but it wouldn't shock me at all. Like, yeah, this is one of those places.
1: (laughs) I have had that discussion, uh, that self-discussion to myself, like uh, as I'm walking down a dark hallway by myself in the building, I'm like, I'm I'm a tough guy. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they can't hurt me. It can't hurt me.
1: Yeah, yeah. trying to strengthen myself a little bit yeah it's a
0: pretty it's a great training facility I'm thankful they let us use it because you can do everything you want there but it it is a little bit a little bit scary I I I didn't hear that that happened to you though that's funny no one said anything to me
1: we'll be back up there in October doing the same two classes the advanced drone class and the uh, night class back to back there under you
0: I've got some folks I'm going to try to send uh, as long as we're not on fire so uh, (laughs) hopefully it's not smoky when you're up here yeah Let's talk about tethered drones, which aren't always drones depending upon depending upon how we use them. So kites or tethered drones. What's your uh, What's your thoughts on that? They're not super popular in America yet, but but I, I see that as probably one of the trends coming out in the next.
1: Yeah, and I think year. you kind of hit on it with funding, um, which it. it the United States and public safety is is kind of lagging in the funding department for this, I, and I think it's just a matter of time because when the real stakeholders, and I think the feds are there, it's local and county and state that are lagging behind. Um, but recognizing that that these are true force force multipliers and they're things that should be integrated, especially in a major disaster. So, a, a persistent drone, however so done, accomplished. Uh, really opens up a lot of doorways for a lot of things not just visual data but uh you know you can set up a a network uh you you know there's a lot of things that you have uh as an option to that it's it's kind of a luxury right now which is why i think they haven't really sold a ton Uh, but i i think that absolutely i would want one at my command post and and there's some now like evolve dynamics has one that goes up 360 feet which is a big deal because you got to be able to tether that that optic cord or whatever the, the cord that they use. Uh, and then it's detachable. So that, you know, you can detach it. The, the cord drops down with a parachute and you can go fly it for another 20, 30 minutes or whatever the, the time is. Um, photokite, people are familiar with Easy Aerial. Uh, there's there's several out there. I don't know if they still make it, but there's a company called Plank Aero Systems out of San Diego. Really good company, good folks there. Uh, they're doing a lot of or other kind of work Uh, but they for a while made a a detachable persistent aircraft but and there's you know the balloon ones too uh so they you know they can stay up for a long time and you know
0: for anybody who's not familiar what we're talking about is a drone that is tethered with a small cord that the power runs through so now you can run that thing up and it doesn't matter how windy it is it's tethered just like a balloon and it runs the power so you don't have to change batteries and gives you uh, great situational awareness. You, they're using them and they've used them a lot in Europe for fire departments, rural operations. Uh, I see that as in the future, a must have for special event management. You know, any any big major event, concerts, any possible mass casualty event, you just pop that thing up and now I have 24 hour air surveillance and coordination uh, and for me, living in Northern California for the fires, uh, I can't tell you how little information you get as a law enforcement branch during a fire that's coming into your town. I have to send officers up into the hills to give me situational reports where if I just pulled a drone up, tethered it up there, I'm done. I can just sit there and coordinate, you know, evac zones and all that.
1: Yeah. And uh, for the ones that are not detachable, you don't you don't need a commercial license to operate them.
0: Yeah, which is great. Easy. That, that for the firemen that listen, that means that you don't need a license. That, that's the same thing for the uh, indoor
2: drones only. Right. No license needed for their operator.
0: Yeah. Indoor space is not national airspace.
1: So uh, the only down the only issue with that is uh, and a lot of agencies have this issue is you're flying from outside in. So you're at the bear cat of the bear and you're going to fly in. So that space is national airspace. So, uh, you know, you probably wanna, probably wanna incorporate, plus you probably wanna incorporate an overwatch or other support drones in different ways besides your interior. But if that's all you got, that's all you got. And some people are delivering them with robots to fly, to fly the house or the, or the building.
0: We have a hodgepodge system right now. So I'm hoping that we get better at integrating all of that. So the robot, the drone, they all work better together.
1: Yeah, and, and canine and other human assets you know we just got back from uh denver uh for the rocky mountain tactical team uh conference association conference and we they asked us to do a two-day loki interior drone uh tactical drone course uh twice so we did two a uh, two two days um and that was really cool so we integrated with uh we you know we mock you know launch from the bear uh, fly inside, integrate behind a team, hand launch into a, a threat area you know, from the stack. So the team leader calls for the drone up and, and then you hand launch it into the threat zone. And then you move in behind a series of different aircraft and uh, integrate it into the stack and pull it, call them back or hold areas that you've already done or whatever. Uh, and I, that worked really well. It was fun. It was neat to do that to, to really start really seeing the tactical application. And, and we're going to use those. We we have a new uh, advanced hostage rescue course that we've just started, and we're going to integrate uh, one of the one of the scenarios. We'll be integrating uh, tactical drones and do a,
0: an advanced hostage rescue scenario. You guys do do a lot of stuff, so that's a great transition. Talk to me a little bit more about what else. Uh, LA Regional Training is, what other classes do you guys do? And where can folks learn more about what you guys do?
1: Well, first, our website is LAC, Los Angeles County, RTC Regional Training Center. So if you just Google Los Angeles County Regional Training or Los Angeles Regional Training, it should pop up pretty quickly. Um, but LACRTC.org, if you're interested in drones, it'd be forward slash drone. And that'll list the 10 drone courses that we have. Uh, but we do... So this is part of what attracted me to LACRTC. Uh, it's not so much what we don't do, it's, it's what we can do. So we have, you know, we have our, our go-to catalogs that we, that we have, this, the new HRT, advanced HRT course, uh, the working in the edge of chaos, incident command course, all the drone classes, uh, implicit bias and racial profiling, oddly enough. These are, these are like in our catalog that we're busy working on. But we do a lot of contract we get calls uh from both in and out of public safety saying could you come train us on xyz and and because we're kind of a collection point um I, i'll just i'll talk about you two i mean i know you two now and i i wouldn't hesitate to call you two up on the expertise that you have and say hey we're putting this class together you guys would be great in it are you interested and let's put it together and, and make a good curriculum student-centered design that has some measurable outcomes and let's put it out there. And uh, and then we so we do that. We do a lot of contract stuff. Uh, But but we uh, have a grant for the racial profiling implicit bias, which I have to say is is hilarious to me because people like you do that. Yes, we do. And uh, it's extremely successful. We've got about 2000 people under our belt with that class. And the reviews are off the chart. And it's I think we just won because we didn't go like fall into that trap of a lot of implicit bias racial profiling classes that begin with you stink and you're never going to stop stinking. (laughs) So We actually just look at the psychology of how our minds work and and work through that uh, and have the students work through that. So it's anyway, it's been very well received. So we do that. And then, like I said, we just unveiled this new hostage rescue, advanced hostage rescue course, um, the ICS chaos class. And then the drones one, all the drone 10 classes are are probably our big go to classes.
0: You definitely got some staples in there, but you've, you've got a wide variety, which basically means you guys are looking for needs and trying to fill it. And that's, that's really what it's about, right?
1: That's exactly. And and it really boils down to the personnel that we're able to meet. It really drives us. So, you know, you, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. You, you hang out with the right people and, and you have the conversations with them. Then you see things that like, Hey, we should work on this. And uh, you would be good at that. And I know a guy or I know a lady and whatever, Uh, just like, you know, Chris met chief best when she came down uh, to the chaos class in Alameda County, you know, you, you get to see and hear things that are, that are just, you know, really value added. So, and and it really helps us, you know, get a lot of, a lot of, a lot of stuff out there.
2: You mentioned the edge of chaos. Can you talk a little bit more about what that class uh, was created for?
1: Yeah, um, so in about 2012, uh, Chief uh, Cynthia Renault, uh, back then she was, uh, I think, Chief of Folsom. She went on to be Chief of Santa Monica, and now she's the International Association of Chiefs of Police President. She wrote a, a, a an article, a uh, Naval Post-Grad article about the missing piece of NIMS, which she's really talking about that first hour where if you're in law enforcement and you're in incident command training, really hard to find any really responsible training that deals with that first hour, that true hour of chaos, when you don't know what you have and you don't know who's who in the zoo and, and so forth. And how do you start to make that manageable? How do you start to, to piece that out and, and start the resolution process? And, and, and how do you not over manage and so forth? So how do you not get into the, hi, I'm on scene and we need porta-potties whoa whoa wait a minute we have some tactical priorities to work out here first so this she saw that and uh there's a real synergy there because her husband was uh is well he was still the husband is uh (laughs) was the uh ran the incident command in long beach for a lot of the major incidents so they went to a model for a while after i retired where they had sort of professional incident commanders come and handle incident management teams yep incident management teams and he was so uh those two i'm sure he collaborated or helped not that cindy is uh, absolutely a, a well-vetted incident commander and has had some really major events that she has managed um but a great synergy there i think occurred uh and they were really kind of brainstormed this class between the two of them and, and some other folks uh including sid uh, uh, sid hale and and mike hillman from lapd and and a lot are just really big tactical names that they set down and, and put this all together, and uh, our involvement was we ended up writing the curriculum for it under their direction. And, and now we present it. But it, it's a really, it's an outcome base. So uh, I know, Chris, you've gone through it. Uh, over the course of the, court, of the class, you end up working 11 scenes. Eleven scenarios, and, and we try to make them. Uh, obviously, they're contrived because it's training, but we try to make them as stressful as possible and then learning as possible. So you learn some tools, you try those tools out, you learn some more tools, you try those tools out, and and then ultimately, by the time this this eighty hour course is finished, uh, you are you're pretty much dialed in on how to run the first hour. And you've all been there. If you're a law enforcement officer, you've or anybody probably in public safety, but definitely in law enforcement, if you've been to, a, to a, a rapidly evolving dynamic event, you know that if the first person gets on scene and starts to establish order, even if it's not established yet, but they're putting people in place and, and responsibilities in place and getting things done. When ultimately it becomes a little more static and we get a more established command post, those incident commanders are loving on those first responders that made that happen. And they almost, I used to make the joke, no matter how inept the top people when they get there are, if you do it right when you get there, they're not going to mess it up because you've established the framework upon which the rest of that incident command is going, scaffolding is going to expand.
0: Most of the time.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, this class does a really good job of bridging
2: that gap between the ICS training that we have to have and how uh, most agencies kind of improvise their... uh, You know, command at at an incident, it's, you know, we're usually looking for a quick resolution. And some of the events that we have, especially with the emphasis on de-escalation now, there's not going to be a quick resolution. And going through the sense-making exercises, the problem-solving, how to build situational awareness, and not just for yourself, but establishing a common operational picture for everybody else that's coming to the scene or that's at the scene, because they see things a different way. They interpret things a different way, understand what the mission is. The class did a really good job at um, laying all that out in a progressive format so that there's a a little bit of crawl walk run built into it and explains a lot of the why behind that. Uh, I I will warn anybody that wants to uh, you know google search for uh, Chief Renaud's paper there's an abstract which is only about 20 pages and then her actual uh, thesis paper is about 130 pages so uh, look for the abstract first and, uh, as, as a taste. And, uh, if that's something that, uh, strikes a chord with you, there's, there's a, a class available, um, that's post-certified, uh, the one in Northern California years, uh, fully funded. So there's no cost to your agency other than the release time, uh, and your you know, travel, but there's no uh, tuition for it. And it, it was a great experience and one that I wish I would have had, um, early on as a uh, sergeant
1: yeah it's a neat experience to be connected with that too I it's uh, near and dear to my heart and I I very much appreciate the folks that are involved in teaching that it's it's I think I might have told you in the past but you know some when we put that on the first time I'm picking some of these folks up from the airport and I'm like a little kid I'm a little starstruck with some of these uh you know these authors you know Sid and and Mike Kilman and there's just it, i'm just a kid that's the way i feel about it and uh getting to work and around these people is is truly an honor and and you can't help but learn and listen it's just exciting to be around them and then like we were talking offline uh chris is that and marcus is that the students really drive this it's really neat it's set up to try to get students to uh really collaborate and figure out best practices and really kind of work those things out for themselves with the leadership that's there so It's fun. It's if you like teaching and you like to see people do well, it's fun to watch it.
2: Yeah, there there was a lot of contributions that were really unexpected uh, and and perspectives that really enriched the experience as well. And I can't believe I just used enriched to describe uh, what I was doing, but that's the best way to describe it. I I, I did not. uh, You know, there was a lot of things that exceeded my uh, expectations, and uh, I'm, I'm a big advocate for the class, if you can get into it. Uh, put in for it. You're going to enjoy the time. Thanks.
0: Well, what you're talking about is that this is one of those rare classes. It's not a procedure class. It's the decision-making stuff that we talk about and all the other training we do in Cato. These are the principles that don't change. And you have to build your Rolodex to learn how to apply the principles. That's the art behind the science. And when you bring the people that he's bringing together and you're doing 12 scenarios under pressure, you're going to build that Rolodex. And if you look at any great team, that's what they do, right? They train as hard or harder than what they're going to deal with so that it's not new to them when they deal with it. So that's why I think it's magic. I I, I haven't had a chance to attend it. I'm going to tell you that I have read some of the original manuscripts to that class that uh, literally were hand type notes from uh, Sid and Tim and, and uh, Daryl and, uh the the sense making and the the edu chaos stuff that i just was passed down to me and i didn't even know where that class was until recently i I mean i read it's called edu chaos and sense making and i read all the notes and it was amazing stuff uh the scenarios but I, i can't wait to attend it i just i'm just gonna have to wait till after fire season so hopefully we'll we'll have some more and again you can find information on that on your website
1: Right. And if you just type LACRTC.org and then forward slash chaos, it'll take you to that page. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, Chief Renault has just done an amazing job with that. And she is, uh, you know, she doesn't get anything out of it. She just, it's just a cause that she's trying to make people safer and, and, and make uh, law enforcement respond more efficiently to major events so that we can get things back in order. And I really admire her for her leadership on this project and, and making it all happen. So I just want to give a good shout out to, to Chief Renault.
0: And she's busy. She's a busy lady.
1: She is very busy.
0: Uh, Khaki Chris, anything else before we uh, let this fine gentleman go? I know he's busy.
2: No, I I hope our uh, listeners uh, appreciate both perspectives that he's provided and and sharing what the LACRTC has to offer. Uh, There's a lot there for everybody. Uh, if you were keeping track of the benefits of the drones, they uh, they do crime scenes, scouting, they help uh, maintain situational awareness. You can do open area searches and ghost hunting.
0: <laughs> right. Yes, definitely uh, ghost hunting. Uh, that's going to be a big takeaway.
1: <laughs> well, it, 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 before I get out of here, I just uh, I want to and it's something I usually say in the classes that I'm where I'm in attendance is that. It's like I started with, LACRTC is, is a different organization than other ones I've been involved with, uh, they care. And I, I don't mean me or, or just the people of this office, I mean the instructors, the people are doing it for the right reasons. And I share that because if we can help you and we're a nonprofit, if we can help support public safety, we will. Uh, I just told you we went out to, to the Denver area, we took an instructor cadre, went out and flew the Lokis with them for four days. And that was all free. We didn't, there's nobody got paid. I didn't get paid, the other instructors didn't get paid. We just went out there to do that, to support the people in that area uh, to use the tactical drones. So that kind of stuff, if we can do it, we will do it. Um, and that's, you know, whether it's paperwork or, or questions you have about getting things going, uh, if we can help, we will. I'm not saying we have unlimited resources. We're, we're on, we are a nonprofit, but we're here for you. So if we can help, don't hesitate, give us a shout out.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for sharing uh, this time with us. We're going to uh, throw the links into your website, uh, at uh, on social media and in the podcast description. So f- please feel free to contact those guys if you need anything. And we will see you uh, hopefully in Reno, 2022, uh, because uh, last time your your class was pretty well received. So we're we're hoping now. It's been almost three years. We're going to have light years of technology to talk about well, plus we know they'll do it for
1: free <laughs> no, yeah he no. just said so yes yeah, he said it huh i blew it yeah yeah all right thank you so much thank you marcus thank you chris it's truly an honor to speak with both of you i mean that it's uh i appreciate all that you guys are doing thank you
0: thank you for listening to the cato podcast to become a member of cato check out our website at cato.news.org. if you have a topic suggestion please send them new podcast at Catonews.org. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and rate us on the platform of your choice.